0: Welcome to the Clinical Care Options Neurology and Psychiatry Podcast Series, Advancing Care in Bipolar Depression. Today's episode features expert faculty, Dr. Charles D. Batista, a professor of behavioral sciences and psychiatry at Stanford University, answering your questions about diagnosing and managing patients with bipolar depression and mixed features. These questions were submitted at recent psychiatry update conferences and are moderated by Amber Hoberg, a psychiatric nurse practitioner in Floresville, Texas and Dr. Greg Mattingly, an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. We'll begin with questions about differential diagnosis and then move into management strategies.
1: Give us a definition of the term mixed features and give us some examples. So the current DSM-5 definition includes
2: uh, three or more symptoms of mania, hypomania, or depression in the context of an opposite mood state. So hypomania or mania in depression or uh, mania or a depression uh, in a um, manic or or hypomanic patient. And there can be a variety of features. For example, one can have... A, uh, what used to be called a dysphoric mania. So patients often in manic states will, again, especially as the episode progresses, will will develop dysphoria, sometimes with carefulness and so forth. Agitation, irritability in a depressed individual can present as a mixed feature. So any of the constellation of uh, hypomanic manic symptoms, decreasing for sleep, uh, increasing goal-directed activity, and so forth, In the context of a depressive episode, three or more of those are present. By DSM-5 criteria, they would be in a mixed state. Is OCD considered manic? No. OCD is not considered mania, Um, but OCD in the context of a depressive episode has a high association with mixed features. And so when OCD occurs just in the context of a major depressive episode, at least be thinking about the possibility that they're on this spectrum, and maybe a little more than just, you know towards the bipolar spectrum than just uh,
1: unipolar.
3: How do you know it is a mixed state and not just depression, anxiety with irritability?
1: Um, you don't,
2: actually. So you know what's interesting is in DSM3, I was around when DSM3 uh, was the DSM of the day. And in DSM-3, irritability was actually part of the diagnostic criteria. So what irritability should do and people can feel irritable just when they feel bad, right? So patients with pain are often irritable. Patients who have uh, chronic illnesses are irritable. And patients with depression don't feel well. They tend to, uh, it's not unusual for them to be irritable. So irritability should at least just be a indication to look a little further that they might be on the bipolar spectrum. Since again, irritability is a feature that we often see in mixed states, but irritability alone doesn't define the person as being in a mixed state. Uh, But let's say they also have, uh, in addition to irritability, um, they also have pressured speech. They also appear to be um, uh, needing less sleep in the context of a depression, and they're irritable. That's again kind of a, a, a stronger indication that they're in a mixed state and uh, would need to be treated accordingly.
3: What type of questions would you ask a patient to distinguish bipolar one or two disorder with rapid cycling or bipolar disorder with mixed features, rapid cycling from borderline personality disorder?
2: It can be a tough distinction because, you know, patients with borderline personality have what we call affective instability, and as opposed to what we see in rapid cycling disorder. So, in rapid cycling, patients can go again, find fine as four or more cycles in a year. They can go from a uh, significant depression to a manic or hypomanic state. The affective instability we see with um, borderline personality, on the other hand, is, is much more rapid than that. They can go from, and it's not usually in the elevated area. Um, it, go, it tends to range from euthymia to irritability, anger, and depression. It doesn't tend to go to uh, a patient's feeling particularly happy, having an increase in uh, goal directed activity, decreased need for sleep, and so forth. So it, it, it's, you know, there is some overlap because moods change, but the moods are different. They, they're they far more rapid, you know, can occur from moment to moment in a borderline personality. And they tend not to go to the elevated mood. They tend to go to anger and they, they tend to go to depression as opposed to euphoria, you know, and again, the other hypomanic and manic symptoms. So um, there is an overlap, but as I say, the the differences in borderline are just the moments to moment uh, affective instability and the lack of, of really uh, going into these sustained periods of elevated mood, increased goal directed activity, and so forth.
3: I often have people that tell me they have both bipolar and major depression. Is that a true diagnosis combo? combination if so does that change your treatment to an ssri in addition to something for the bipolar depression
2: patients are often confused by diagnoses and you know they may have heard in the past that they were diagnosed with depression and then subsequently uh, were re-diagnosed as uh, being bipolar Uh, Patients with bipolar disorder, uh, by definition, are susceptible. The vast 90% of patients with bipolar disorder have depressive episodes that are major depressive episodes. And so the the key issue is whether they do, in fact, have a history of mania or hypomania. If they do, then a second-generation antipsychotic or mood stabilizer may be indicated. So uh, it would be important to figure out what they actually mean. But once they've had a manic or hypomanic episode, by definition, they are bipolar. They are uh, predisposed to having major depressive episodes. And so it's not really a separate diagnosis. The bipolar diagnosis, if accurate, would supersede the major depression
1: diagnosis. Is there any relationship between trauma and bipolar disorder? And the data set that I always refer back to is my good friend, Joe Biederman out at Mass General. Joe took one of the big epidemiologic catchmentary studies. And he said, the average age of onset for bipolar is in late teens, early 20s. But how does high genetic loading and how does a history of childhood trauma change the condition? And what they found is if you had high genetic loading and you'd had childhood trauma, the onset of the condition didn't start in the late teens and early 20s. It started at age seven. So high genetic loading predicts earlier onset, childhood trauma is changing the brain, it's changing your epigenetics, it's increasing your vulnerability, and the two of those layered together dramatically shifted the onset of the illness. Dr. Batisa, what else comes up in your mind when you think about trauma and bipolar? Yeah, just that, that
2: we've been interested in uh, trauma as a predictor of non-response uh, in depressed individuals to, to standard treatments. And, and perhaps greater response to psychotherapies and, and so forth. And this is you know, based on some of the work that Charlie Nemiroff and colleagues have, have done. But we have found that to be true as well. So it, it may not only uh, increase the predisposition to an earlier onset, but also to poor response to some of the standard treatments uh, down, down the road. If uh, a patient presents with a new onset of mania and they're on an antidepressant, I would step off the antidepressant, would I start an antipsychotic, and how long would I leave them on an antipsychotic after the mania has resolved? It's a good question. So we would always advise that if somebody becomes manic on an antidepressant, is to the first step would be take them off the antidepressant, because the antidepressant, again, is, is just going to flame the mania. So that would be step number one. Now, step number two really kind of depends on the the patient. Uh, um, It it could be adding uh, a mood stabilizer. It could be adding a a second-generation antipsychotic. Most of us these days would probably choose um, a second-generation antipsychotic as the next step. And then the question is how long to keep them on that drug. And again, the answer may differ depending on whether they're bipolar 1 or bipolar 2. Because somebody who has presented with a full-blown mania is at risk for spontaneous uh, um, mania. Subsequently, those manic episodes, again, tend to be disruptive to one's life. People you know, uh, go into uh, economic failure. They have affairs. You know, marriages break up. All kinds of bad things happen in uh, full-blown manic episodes that are somewhat less common in uh, hypomanic episodes. And in a bipolar one, it may be reasonable to continue them on the second-generation drug uh, since many of them are approved as maintenance treatments. Uh, And if they're tolerating it, you probably just stick with it. In a bipolar two patient, maybe, um, again, if they have remained well for a period of time, it may be worth a discussion with them about whether uh, it is reasonable to go off the medication at some point. But certainly, in a bipolar one, you, you may well be talking about long-term maintenance treatment um, with a second-generation drug.
3: Are there any bipolar meds that work better with patients who abuse stimulants often because they like the manic episode?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, so, all of the uh, bipolar meds can you know can be effective in. Uh, if, if we're talking specifically about bipolar depression, it's a challenge that, they, that all effective bipolar meds uh, tend to limit the highs, right? And so patients aren't crazy, uh, are often not crazy about any of them. You know, some are more sedating than others. And again, any patients who really like the stimulant effect may be more sensitive to sedating medications for bipolar depression like quetiapine. And maybe slightly more enthusiastic about accepting a medication that's not quite so sedating, uh, like uh, lorazepam and the temper those. So um, you know. So the short answer is, there isn't an ideal medication, but but maybe avoiding those more that cause more significant
1: sedation in those patients. Which antidepressants will antidepressants increase the risk of manic episodes? Should we avoid them or are some better than others?
2: Yeah, this has been controversial. There had been a feeling that perhaps
1: bupropion
2: was less of a risk and tricyclics, particularly noradrenergic tricyclics and SNRIs, more of a risk uh, in terms of, of switching um, you know, I think that the data is mixed, but uh, I, I would tend to think that, again, these uh, dual reuptake inhibitors may be more problematic or uh, that some of, and, you know, I, I'm I'm not so sure about bupropion. What are
1: your thoughts, Dr. Mattingly? I, I agree with you. I think the data with bupropion looked kind of promising. I think we all got sucked into that. I think they can all induce antidepressant misadventures. You just have to be careful and use your clinical judgment when you do that. Would you add a benzo for irritability, anxiety in people that are refractory? What's the role of benzodiazepines?
2: Benzos have a, a limited role. They can you know, certainly be helpful for sleep. We'll, we'll often put in patients with bipolar disorder. We can get them to sleep. We, we, yeah, we've solved half the battle but um, but there may be at least a limited role for benzodiazepines uh, in the course of illness. We do have to be work, you know we have to be somewhat careful just given the high rates of substance abuse in our bipolar patients, um, giving them a uh, potentially uh habit-forming uh, drug uh, can be problematic, uh, but in terms of a- at least acutely managing kind of sleep issues and agitation in the context of also giving, say, a second-generation antipsychotic, at least for the short term, I think, can have utility. What's the best manner to help guide a person who is exhibiting bipolar symptoms uh, to seek professional help and to help them be compliant with their medications uh, to help the uh and and help to avoid the tendency that uh, being uh, attacked or misunderstood when confronted. Uh, This can be a challenge uh, in bipolar patients. Um, Most of our patients don't love being on um, any of these medications. They all have their downsides, right? And many bipolar patients, um, things have to get considerably uh, worse before they get better in terms of agreeing to be on a medication long-term. So we see, I see a lot of Stanford undergrads um, and graduate students for that matter uh, and faculty um, who are bipolar. And, um, you know, for many of our uh, students, you know, the, first of all, the idea that, you know, they're bipolar is not something that they necessarily want to accept right off the bat. And secondly, saying to them that they have to be on these medications, which have You know, these various side effects indefinitely is another thing they certainly don't want to hear. So what is pretty typical for many of our patients is they'll go on the medication when they're in the hospital, um, after they've been hospitalized in an acute manic state, for example, uh, but go off it pretty quickly once they get off until the next episode when they go back on it. uh, And sometimes... You know, they need a few of these episodes to realize that they're better off on the medication than off the medication. And so I'll talk to patients about the need for maintenance in the same way that we talk to, that interns talk to patients about the need for maintenance insulin or maintenance antihypertensives or what have you. Uh, And sometimes, and even though it's not completely accurate to say they've got this chemical imbalance and these medications help kind of restore, Patients often are receptive to that kind of um, uh, rationale for using uh, these medications in the long run, but they may not believe you until, in fact, they have run into problems multiple times and then come to realize that maybe, you know, being on these medications is better than being in jail or better than being rehospitalized multiple uh, multiple times.
0: Thank you all for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative for your clinical practice. For more information on this series and upcoming psychiatry update conferences, please visit the show notes. Thanks again and have a marvelous day.